Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is James, and we are reading chapter 37 of the Blood Magic series, New Year's Resolution. December 25th, 2008. It was dark and warm, and Draco could hear the soft hooting of owls. He felt safe and held. He had been dreaming about stacks of Christmas presents, boxes and boxes with ornate wrappings and lavish bows, and each one he opened was a memory of Harry and a crystal ornament that he hung up on a great giant tree that Harry had chopped down for him. It didn't take a genius to figure out what that meant. This too must be a dream, he thought, realizing that the cozy and intoxicatingly warm feeling wasn't leaving him as he came into consciousness. Nothing in the waking world had ever made him feel this beautiful warmth. Or was that just Harry? Harry, who was lying on his back with his arm around Draco, who in turn had his head on Harry's chest and was curled into his left side, his arm and legs slung over him. Draco, who was becoming more and more aware in his awakening state of the erection he was pressing into Harry's hip, and after subtly shifting, noticing the hardness pressing into the inside of his thigh that was draped over Harry. Draco remembered the last time he was here, his panicked flight, and took several soft, steadying breaths, not wanting to wake Harry just yet. This was an exercise in just being, sitting with the discomfort in favor of growing past one of his hang-ups. Harry wouldn't use him. Harry wouldn't hurt him for his own gain. He was safe. He could just be. They weren't doing anything. This didn't have to lead to anything. And Draco could just exist here for the time being and enjoy feeling Harry against him, of the hardness of him. He was fast forgetting all of the reasons they discussed why they couldn't pursue their feelings for one another. This just felt so unbelievably good. In his half-awake state, he allowed his mind to peer into the corner of buried thoughts where he kept Harry and the possibility of more, a place he occluded heavily. After their talk, he had actively resisted that corner of his mind, understanding it to behave like a Pandora's box of need and want. He knew that if he opened it and started thinking about it, it would be impossible to close again. But now, in this sleepy stupor, their bodies intertwined and their waking selves nowhere to be seen, Draco didn't have the strength or force of will to keep that box closed or his walls up. He allowed himself to feel everything. Every desire, every need, every pull of magic that wrapped around them. The hope, the affection, the protectiveness, the pride he felt in Harry, all swirled in his chest as he breathed in air that smelled and tasted of him. Every one of his senses felt saturated in this man as he lay there eyes barely open, just breathing him in. Why did it have to feel this good? Just as he wondered how long he could lay here before the spell broke, Harry gave a deep guttural moan and arced his back into a little stretch in his sleep, pushing his groin up into Draco's leg before going lax again and dropping his hand back on Draco's shoulder. The sinful feeling of that movement making Draco impossibly harder. His erection could no longer be considered morning wood. This was one of pure and desperate arousal. He wanted Harry so bad it made the saliva pool in his mouth and his body was becoming uncomfortably warm, tingling sparks shooting down through his spine and out through his limbs. He fought the urge to fidget or press himself harder into Harry's hip, lest he wake him and lose the moment. 
He played with the idea of simply waking Harry up and finally just fucking kissing him. Dear God, he'd been wanting that for days, weeks, years now, actually. What would happen then? Would they have sex? Could they get each other off? Would that ruin their friendship? Would Draco panic? Draco allowed himself the time he had, nearly laying on top of Harry, to just imagine what that would be like. Something he had never really comfortably done since the war. Sex always felt overwhelming and scary, even if he wanted the closeness quite desperately. And he tried to be comfortable with the idea of actually being physical with someone. Much to his surprise, the usual swell of rising panic at the thought of being touched didn't come. That was a first, Draco thought. He had always thought it was panic he would have to force himself to get through in order to be close with someone. He never thought that if he found the right person, there wouldn't be a panic to fight off. The right person, Draco thought, as an image of their Patronuses popped into his mind, and he smiled against Harry's chest. He was such a burk. Of course Harry thought it was because they were touched by death. And maybe he was right. Maybe they weren't soulmates. Maybe they weren't in love. Maybe Draco had outed himself for no fucking reason. But hearing the admission from Harry that he felt the same way had elated him. And terrified him. The sobering thought of Harry's very new sexuality and sobriety and their isolation washed over him and he took a deep breath, finally reining himself in. He couldn't do this. Not because he was afraid of being touched, but because it wasn't fair to either of them. He allowed Harry's warmth and smell to saturate him for one last moment, savoring every second of it, committing it to memory to pack away into that corner of his mind, before gently rolling off of Harry and climbing out of bed. He would go have a long hot bath and wink like a teenager, before facing Christmas with a man he desperately didn't want to want. Draco apparated to the gates of Malfoy Manor. It had been nearly a year since he'd been back, but the span of time did nothing to dull the sharp shock of memories flooding through him at the sight of those old, black, wrought-iron gates. He gripped his gift basket harder, his knuckles white. He already wished he was back at Tenebris Hollow with Harry. They'd had such a beautifully cozy morning together. After waking up next to him and not panicking, Draco had felt more confident in himself and oddly more comfortable with his attraction to Harry. It didn't need to be so scary. It didn't need to feel like an out-of-control beast. They could coexist with their feelings and be okay. But now he was here, at the manor, this cesspool of dark magic and even darker history. He was about to partake in Christmas cheer with his mother and try not to think about how many people were eaten on the dining room table. About the Christmas they spent with Greyback and Lestrange. He shuddered, struggling to repress the memory, and thought about how he could at least visit Snape's second portrait, the one that was made just for his godson, and update him on the DOM. His mother had greeted him at the front door, glass of wine in hand, and walked with him to the drawing room where they would spend their Christmas brunch. It was just the two of them, and Draco felt more awkward than he thought the situation warranted. He had given his mother the basket of gifts, and she looked through them with an expression of polite interest that Draco could see through in a second. He had made her a knitted shawl with wool that Luna had spun for him, and that he had dyed with woad he picked from his and Harry's garden. He was rather proud of it. It was a gorgeous deep blue, and the lace weight of the yarn meant it had taken him nearly six weeks to finish. It was a bloody fabulous work of art, and she just set it aside with a nod and continued to unpack the basket. Vegetables? 
she asked incredulously, her polite mask slipping in confusion and maybe offense. I grew them over the summer. I have a whole stasis cupboard full of what I grew in the garden. Carrots, potatoes, there's a cabbage in there, and a whole mess of broad beans. They're quite delicious. I found a packet of ancient heirloom seeds, and I grew enough food to feed an army in the garden. Draco felt pride swelling in him like a balloon, buoying him in the face of Narcissa's callous disdain for something Draco gave her, which cost him his physical exertion. He knew she thought it was unbefitting of him to make and do with his hands, and Draco felt a flash of anger at her arrogance. Honestly, how did he stand a chance to be a kind child with this woman raising him? Lovely, dear, thank you, she said without looking at him. After an awkward pause in which Draco didn't respond, she sighed heavily and finally looked at him to see what must have been very obvious annoyance and probably hurt etched into his face. Realizing her mistake, she leaned over to grab the shawl and unfolded it to study it closer. You made this, you said, she asked, her voice sounding more curious than it had when she first saw the gift. Yes, Luna spins wool, so she sent me the yarn, and I dyed it with herbs Neville recommended. And then I designed and knitted the pattern. It's peacock feathers, see? He said, reaching over to lay the shawl flat across his mother's lap. He had thought he was being rather cleverly amusing to make her a shawl of knit peacock feathers. He thought it suited her. Her face softened and she looked up at him with a real genuine smile, small though it was. He relaxed a little and was glad he wouldn't have to steal it back to give it to someone who would actually appreciate it. It's beautiful, Draco. Thank you, she finally said. You're welcome. His mother had given him a book entitled Rights of a Pure Blood Heir. No need to speculate the implication here, he thought. A grandchild, Draco, that's all I'm asking for, she said, sipping her second glass of wine, as if what she was asking for could be picked up in diagonally. Mother, you know I'm gay. We are not doing this again, he snapped at her, to which she completely ignored and kept talking on as if nothing was said. After 30 minutes of stilted small talk in which Draco spent most of the time defending his life choices in the face of a lecture on pure blood duties, he had excused himself to see his godfather's portrait to update him on the DOM. It had been a fruitful conversation, with much gossip and speculation about the golden git. Apparently, Severus had said, they've confirmed contact from Potter, but still, no one knows where he's gone or what he's doing. He eyed Draco closely. They're trying very hard to get the prophet to stop running stories and speculation, so McGonagall says. Mmm, Draco had hummed in feigned interest. He could not escape Severus's knowing eyes fast enough. After updating him with as much work-related detail as he could, he fled his childhood wing, but not before spotting and sequestering two brooms, to find his mother halfway through a second bottle of wine. Oh good, this should be fun, he thought, setting the brooms down next to his basket. He knew Christmas was going to be exhausting, but he didn't realize it would be this onerous. His mother was tolerable when she wasn't drinking, but her and a bottle of Chablis was an entirely different monster. You know, Draco, dear, it's awfully unbecoming that I can't seem to get you to visit, she said, her eyes like daggers, her voice like ice, and her words too sweet-sounding. It's almost as if you don't want to see me. Mother, you know I've been busy with research, he sighed. Couldn't they just get through one visit without sniping? Couldn't she just enjoy him while she could? Yes, too busy to grace the woman who raised you with your presence. She smiled a cold, false smile. 
Draco didn't have the energy to smile an equally fake smile back at her. He just looked her back in the eyes, a battle of wills. She wanted Draco to apologize to her for being absent, for taking the time he needed for himself, for avoiding this hellhole, and he wasn't going to. Gone were the days where she could wrest false promises and apologies from his lips. Gone were the days where he felt bad that she lived alone in this mausoleum of torture. She made her choices, and they were not Draco's. Yes, I am too busy, Draco said, his gaze unwavering, his voice even. Narcissa's cheeks tinged pink in anger, and he saw her eyes darken slightly as she readied a verbal assault, fake smile unwavering. I didn't raise you to turn your back on family, Draco, she said, her words enunciated sharply to wound as well as to fight past the Chablis in her system. You didn't raise me to do much more than be a spoiled brat, actually, Draco retorted. I can't tell you how hard I've worked to undo the damage you two did to be a decent human. He had never spoken to his mother like this, and he didn't realize he'd had so much venom in his system, all the unsaid things spilling out. We gave you everything, she shouted, her smile gone, the audacity of his words shocking her out of her poise. Everything, you selfish and ungrateful. Oh, everything, he asked, cutting her off, voice steely and dripping with cruel sarcasm. He knew she was drunk and that he shouldn't rise to the bait, but he was so, so very angry. Are you including the deep well of psychological issues in everything? Does this everything include my years of therapy trying to get over the gaslighting joke that was my childhood? Hmm? Or about the suicide attempt that you ignored? What about the fact that I was raped? Oh, I don't know, like... He threw his hands out, gesticulating wildly. Dozens of times, some of which happened in this very room. Is that part of the everything you and Lucius gave me? Because excuse me for my lack of gratitude, he spat out, feeling gratified by the look of shock written across his mother's face, as if she'd been slapped. He was standing now and striding over to grab his basket and broomsticks. But you could have fucking kept all of it. And he marched out of the room without a backward glance. Draco apparated just outside the protective enchantments of the cottage and stood there clutching his broom and basket, with his eyes closed, trying to steady the flood of rage coursing through him. It felt so good to tell his mother off like that. Years of pent-up feelings. Her stricken face flitted across his mind's eye, and the slight guilt he was feeling was nothing in the face of the cathartic release of tension from his body. He opened his eyes to the sound of the front door opening and Harry striding out towards him, whisk in hand, floral apron on, and what looked like a dusting of sugar across his face, a concerned furrow to his brow. Draco, he asked. I heard the apparition, but I didn't think you'd be back so soon. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay, he said, trying not to take his anger out on Harry. He was so bloody handsome with sugar on his face and that stupid apron, and he was so fucking nice. Come inside, yeah? he said, reaching out to take the basket from Draco and indicating with his head back towards the cabin. They crunched over the snow in the path between the frozen dead beds of their garden and back inside. Draco dropped the broomsticks by the door and looked to see what appeared to be a confectioner's workshop in the kitchen. What are you doing in here? Draco asked, curiosity maligning his anger. Oh, well, I know you said you didn't want to exchange gifts, but I thought I'd make you marshmallows for cocoa tonight. He smiled back at Draco, who felt a stomach flip, and he couldn't stop the smile spreading on his face. "'Can I help?' Draco asked, shucking off his coat and kicking off his boots. 
No, you cannot, because this is a delicate operation that I barely have control over, Harry laughed. But you can tell me about how your short Christmas visit with your mom was. I thought you'd be there for hours yet. Harry was pouring what looked like molten hot syrup into a bowl of liquid with a charmed whisk, mixing it furiously into a white foam. Is this mallow root? Draco asked, picking up the herb and inspecting it. There were herbs on the counter, pots of honeys, packets of gelatins, pens dusted with confectioner sugar, jars of fragrant vanilla, herbal infusions, bowls of whipped egg whites. It was a chaotic mess, and Harry looked like he was in his domestic element. Draco felt his heart tighten in his chest. Yeah, Harry said, concentrating on pouring the mysterious ingredients into one another while they whisked together. I asked the house elves for the recipe, and they sent me all these ingredients. I think it's a very old recipe, actually. I don't think marshmallows from the shop are made with mallow root and honey anymore, he chuckled. Draco grinned. I don't know much about marshmallows, if I'm honest. Not something I have a lot of experience with, other than they're delicious burnt over a fire. Then wait until you have them in some of my famous cocoa, Harry said, shooting Draco a playful smirk. The look shot right through Draco in the most pleasurable way. Famous, is it? He teased, realizing how easy this was, how natural it felt. Just you wait, Harry said, slowly adding whipped egg whites to the mixture now, the strong smell of vanilla filling the air. Draco just smiled at Harry's profile and took advantage of the opportunity to look at him while he worked. So tell me about your mom, Harry said, turning to catch Draco staring and blushing slightly. Draco groaned and slumped into his seat at the table. Where to begin? He started, ignoring his own flushing skin, before launching into a dramatic tirade about his short but eventful visit. They passed a few hours chatting pleasantly. Harry said the marshmallows needed about six hours to set before they could eat them, so it would be ready for their evening cocoa. The house elves had sent over replenishing plates of food from Hogwarts' Christmas feast as a gift, and they gorged themselves on the comfort of it. When evening finally fell, they settled down on the skin rug in front of the fire in their pajamas, wrapped in blankets, mugs of cocoa in their hands, and a plate of marshmallows between them. Harry had said the secret to his cocoa was cream, honey, and cardamom. He was right. It was the best fucking cocoa Draco had ever had, and the marshmallows were divine. So, Draco said at a lull in their conversation, feeling a little nervous, I know we said we weren't going to do gifts. You did not, you sneaky bastard. Harry cut him off, looking offended. But, Draco continued, since you gave me that lovely talisman, he said without looking at Harry, I thought it would only be fair if I made you something as well. He flicked his wand at the Christmas tree, and a hidden package came zooming out towards Harry and into his lap before he could protest further. This way we're even, Draco finished. Even, huh? Harry said, clearly unable to stop the smile on his face. The parcel was small and lumpy, wrapped in parchment and tied with yarn. It looked as if it were wrapped by a child, and Draco felt he should have asked the elves to wrap it for him instead. Harry plucked the note off the lopsided bow and read, his eyes going soft, his smile becoming shy and sweet. Draco blushed, just as he had done when he wrote the note. Harry, to keep you warm on your darkest of nights, Draco. Harry carefully unwrapped the gift, and Draco had to resist the urge to tell him to get a move on already. His nerves felt raw and exposed. Finally removing the parchment wrapping, the knitted items fell into Harry's lap, 
and he stared at them for a long while before looking up. They're Thestrals, he said softly. Well spotted, Draco said, trying for haughty, but his voice came out deeper than he meant it to. Draco had knit Harry a purple and gray hat with matching mittens and a scarf, all with Thestrals knit into the pattern. Harry rolled his eyes affectionately before saying with wonder, I can feel your magic. Mm, Draco agreed, not quite trusting himself to speak just yet. I placed a warming charm on them and some protective magic as well, he said finally, after Harry pulled the hat over his head and slipped the gloves on. He looked like an adorable, oversized child. When did you make these? I never saw you working on them. I never even saw you dye these colors, he said, looking at Draco in amazement, like he couldn't believe his eyes. I'm a Slytherin, Harry. We have our ways, Draco smiled. You certainly do, he said, and the searing look he sent Draco ran through him like fiend fire. Anyway, Draco looked away quickly before he did something stupid, playing with the rim of his mug, his voice croaking. Thank you for the talisman. Thank you for the Thestrals, Harry said. December 31st, 2008. In the days from Christmas to New Year's, Draco found himself less and less capable of resisting the inexplicable pull towards Harry. Their days were lazy. Draco wasn't working on his research, and Harry didn't have anything to do around the hollow in the cold, so they spent much of their time laying around reading, talking, or in Draco's case, knitting. It was the closest Draco had ever felt to Harry, and he found himself looking for excuses to bump against him, touch his arm, or graze his shoulder. He would have felt bad about his crumbling resolve, but it seemed Harry had the same ideas. It was nearing twilight, and Draco was trying to teach Harry how to say a few sentences in French, which Harry was not grasping, when they were distracted by Neville's owl at the window. Draco jumped up to retrieve the letter in good spirits. He had sent Neville a pair of moss-green socks with a leaf pattern for Christmas, along with several unidentified seeds from the old closet. Some of them were labeled with very ominous warnings, such as unforgivable beetroot or bloodletting bean, and thought Neville would enjoy them immensely. He unfurled the letter as Harry set about making them tea. Draco, thanks so much for your gift. The moss socks were amazing. Your skills are really improving. You're a right old lady now, haha. The seeds were fascinating. What a special gift, thank you. I'll let you know what comes of them. You'll never believe what happened over Christmas. I was approached by the DOM, again, and they asked if they could test a new potion on my parents meant for psychological damage. And you know, I always agree to whatever they come up with. They thought there was real promise. And, well, whatever they gave them made some sort of an impact, because over Christmas when I went to visit, my mom recognized me and said my name. She hasn't ever been able to say my name before. It was incredible. This is the first time I've had hope that someday they might be okay. Just thought you'd like to hear. Anyways, hope you're having a good Christmas. If you get lonely, come for coffee. Love, Neville. Draco's tears dropped onto the parchment in his hands that shook slightly as he read and reread the letter. The DOM had tested his potions and concluded that it was safe for patient use. They used his suggested case study of Neville's parents. It had made a positive impact. His research and months of work hadn't been wasted. It had helped two people that had been harmed by Death Eaters, by Bellatrix and Lestrange. He felt Harry's hands on his shoulders, and he turned a watery smile to him as he handed over the parchment, not trusting his voice to explain. After Harry was finished, he looked back at Draco with a huge, beaming smile. This was your potion, your research, wasn't it? You did this. 
Draco wiped the tears from his face and nodded, trying to regain control of himself. He felt like he was exploding with a sense of pride that he had never known. He thought he'd been proud when he became a healer, when he started therapy. Hell, he thought he'd been proud when he could cohabitate with another human. None of that compared to what he was feeling now. It overwhelmed him. You're amazing, you know that, Harry said, jostling his shoulder, coaxing a smile from Draco, who was lost in his own thoughts. Does Neville know this was you? Not yet, Draco finally said. Didn't want to get his hopes up. I'll tell him after I hear back from the DOM. Harry grabbed Draco's hand and pulled him into a hug that Draco melted into, and they swayed slightly on the spot. What would you like to do to celebrate? Harry asked quietly in Draco's ear, and he was sure Harry didn't miss the way Draco shivered in response. Let's go flying, he said, voice low, before he could say what he really wanted to do. Harry pulled back, a huge smile on his face and a mischievous glint in his eyes. After a pause of excited anticipation, in which they grinned slyly at one another, they moved at the same time. They lunged across the cottage, scrabbling for boots, jackets, and mittens. They were laughing and shoving one another, shouting inane threats and jeers. I bet I can get in the air before you, Draco shouted, tripping Harry, who was pulling a hoodie over his head and didn't see it coming. Oof, he grunted. Like hell you can, Harry yelled from the floor, reaching for and throwing one of Draco's boots across the cottage as he scrambled to his feet in search for his own shoes. Draco squawked in indignation as he dove for his boot. He frantically laced them up as Harry was donning his last layers. Draco shoved past Harry, who had been just about to bound for the door himself, knocking him over onto Draco's bunk. Draco stole his advantage and bolted for his broom. You cheating Burke, Harry shouted, riding himself, soon in hot pursuit at Draco's heels. As Draco cleared the steps, laughing wildly and made to jump on his broom in the yard, Harry lunged forward, knocking Draco to the ground and launched himself into the air first, cackling madly. Dirty git, Draco yelled after him, pushing off hard and tearing through the stinging air after Harry. The two of them tore after one another, chasing and being chased, flying higher and higher, looping, diving, showing off and laughing. Draco charmed a pinecone to fly through the air for a very non-regulation compliant seekers game. They both cheated gratuitously, each more interested in teasing and outflying the other than in actually catching the pinecone. They kept challenging one another to more and more ridiculous feats of flying and tricks. After nearly three hours, they were frozen to the bone, exhausted and sweat-drenched. The dark night had long since consumed them, and they landed back at the cottage under a blanket of stars, panting heavily and laughing. That was amazing, Harry huffed, looking thoroughly disheveled and brimming with happiness that he directed at Draco. I completely agree, but I'm freezing. Can you make more of your cocoa? I need a quick wash, Draco said, following Harry up the steps. After they each respectively washed and changed into their pajamas, they wordlessly migrated to Draco's bed with cocoa in hand. They sat cross-legged, facing one another, a roaring fire on the other side of the cottage heating their small space. They talked about flying and Quidditch, about Hogwarts and their best memories of the place. They eventually finished their cocoa and ended up lying down on their sides, under the blankets and facing one another, their knees touching. Harry cast a tempest above them, 11.30 p.m. What do you want for the new year, Draco, he asked, his face looking sleepy but content, soft and open. I want to make sure I'm happy where I am and doing what I'm doing. I love being a healer and helping people, but St. Mungo's will never respect me. I'll always be struggling beneath people.
This year of research on my own has shown me I'm capable of so much more. I want to keep experimenting. I want to find new ways to heal others, particularly those hurt by the war. Harry nodded, reaching between them to offer his hand, which Draco met halfway and repressed a shiver as their fingers intertwined. Harry's hands were strong and warm, and he could feel some of the calluses and blisters from all of the hard work he did around the hollow. God, why did they keep doing this? And you? Draco asked, voice quieter, trying to pretend like it was absolutely normal that they were laying in bed together holding hands. Harry took a deep breath, sighing it out slowly. I just want to stay sober. I don't know what that'll take or what'll have to change or where I'll even be living. He looked down at their hands between them under the thick duvet. I try not to think too much about it, honestly. I'm scared I won't do well back out in the real world. Draco hummed and thought. Are you going to stay with the Aurors, he asked. Harry groaned. If they haven't fired me for just disappearing for an entire year with no explanation whatsoever, they're all idiots anyways. I mean, I know I'm the savior and everything, but even that seems a bit excessive. That still doesn't really answer the question, Harry, he pointed out. You have to make the choice. It's not good for me, Harry said softly, looking back up to meet Draco's gaze. The stress, the constant fear of dark magic always feeling like I'm on a hunt that never ends, that there's danger everywhere. I don't want to live like that. I want to be happy. That seems like a good first step, Draco said, idly rubbing his thumb over the scars in the back of Harry's hands. What do you think you'd want to do instead? He wondered if anyone had ever asked Harry about what he really wanted to do with his life, if anyone had ever given him the opportunity to think of himself as more than anything than an oar. Do you promise not to laugh if I tell you? I've been thinking about it for weeks, ever since your Patronus. But I can't tell if it's a stupid idea or not. Harry scrunched up his face, obviously uncomfortable with the idea that he was about to put himself out there. Draco cringed internally at the thought of how he had acted that day. But he didn't want to let on to Harry. Of course I won't laugh. Don't you trust me? Harry smiled. I want to teach. He was watching Draco's face for a reaction, green eyes clear even in the soft light of the fire. That day with you, it brought me back to some of my best memories of teaching others how to fight for themselves, how to access their magic, how to cast almost without thinking. It always filled me with so much pride to see others master something I had explained to them. I felt useful, and God, I used to have so much fun. You're a brilliant teacher. Why would I have laughed? Draco asked incredulously. Harry really did have a talent for teaching. It was Draco as a student that had been their problem. You think so? Really? Harry's smile was genuine and his face radiant with the compliment. I never thought I'd live to see the day Draco Malfoy said I was brilliant at something. Draco narrowed his eyes at Harry and shook his head. Don't get too cocky now. Harry, still smiling, leaned in close to Draco, dropping his voice to a near whisper. You know, this is exactly how I wanted to ring in the new year, with you, like this. Draco's stomach was filled with a nervous fluttering sensation, and he could feel the heat in his face rising. Good thing it was so dark. You know, they say what you're doing at midnight on New Year's is how you'll spend the rest of the year, Harry said, voice still soft and low, his eyes now searching Draco's. He looked nervous suddenly, tentative, like he was asking something without asking. Are you asking me if things are going to be like this when we leave the forest in February? Draco felt suddenly serious, feeling the weight of the unsaid words. I want them to be. 
Harry licked his lips nervously, and Draco's mouth was suddenly equally dry. I know you think this is just us in isolation, that I'll be someone else once we leave. But Draco, this is me. This is who I've always wanted to be. It's with you I feel at home. I know who you are. I know it's between us. I can feel it, and I can wait until you're ready. Harry was so close to him now, their noses nearly touching, Harry's hand reaching up to brush the soft, blonde hair from Draco's face. Draco felt his resolve crumbling around him. His defenses were gone. He could feel Harry's breath on his lips and feel the weight of his hand in his hair and on his face, and he didn't think he could stop this from happening. He didn't want to stop it. He reached his hand out to touch Harry's chest. Tell me you don't want this. Tell me you don't feel what I feel. Harry said the words quickly, his eyes never leaving Draco's. Tell me this is too much and I'll stop. Draco looked back into Harry's face. He could feel his heartbeat under his hand and smell the safe, familiar smell of him. He knew he couldn't deny what Harry was saying, knew he was right. He could feel it. It was real. This wasn't their isolation. This wasn't an experiment. But was he ready for this? Could he take the leap? He studied Harry's face, who looked back at him intently, waiting patiently for a response from Draco, and he felt a sweeping sense of safety and affection. Draco braced himself for Harry's reaction to what he was about to say. I'm not ready, he whispered, barely audible, his eyes not leaving Harry's, their mouths so close together. Instead of the look of disappointment he expected to see, Harry's face broke into a huge smile. Draco could tell that Harry realized he wasn't being rejected, his feelings weren't being denied, and Draco felt relief washed through him. He knew that Harry wouldn't begrudge him for not being ready, knew that his acceptance and admission of their feeling could be enough for right now. His smile was victorious and full of love. Draco's heart felt fit to burst when Harry didn't close the gap to kiss Draco on the lips, but instead reached out to pull him into a soft embrace and whispered into his hair, you can take as long as you need, I'm not going anywhere, before placing a gentle kiss on the top of his head and saying, happy new year, Draco. don't know anything <laughs> why did this chapter stress you out so much I why I why just, like, blacked the fuck out <laughs> every every other sentence i was like <laughs> where am i who am i what am i doing what is existence why are we here why what is you, the meaning of life why do you think you felt that way about this chapter writing narcissa just like that was just so much of a self-insert it was like disgustingly uncomfortable in a way that I just did not want to engage with yeah and you wrote that were you still talking to her Mm -hmm. yikes 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 indeed yeah that it it was entirely you yeah um and I well I think it fits Draco in this story sort of like we were talking about Harry with me earlier Mm. um this idea that you try to give a gift that's, like, meaningful mm. and, like, something you put a lot of work into. It's, like, thoughtful and considerate. And... Yeah, and it's just entirely dismissed. Mm. Um, and it's very painful. And mm. um, sort of, like, cloaked in this idea of, like, 
oh, well, obviously I love you, like I'm your mother, mm. but then like still being very cruel. Yeah, and not really understanding who her child is. No, not at all. Yeah, just like and spending the whole time being like, rights of a pure blood heir, give me a grandchild, I don't understand why you're not this person. And I loved the part that you wrote where he is like, you know, things happen to me in this very room and you're spending no time and no consideration of how I feel about that. Yeah. And like, you're living in denial. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that he says that to her and like, gets mad, it mm. was great. Mm. It would yeah. have been, I think, really cool if you had done more of that with your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, I feel like you um, did eventually confront her, but mm. I mean, I don't think you've gotten to yell at her the way that you mm -mm. could yell at her. I've gotten into one yelling match with her. No, 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 no. Not yeah. a yelling match. Mm. She doesn't get to... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you just, like, send a voice note of, mm. like, you're the worst person. Mm. And you did not love me the way I deserve to be loved. Yeah. You could just yell that. Like, yeah. yell it just into... Just yell it into the phone. A voice note. Yeah, like, yeah. a voice note. Yeah. yeah. Um, and send then, it. And, and then, then she gets no opportunity to respond. Oh, how satisfying. <laughs> you should actually just do it. No, it's been, like, a year of no contact, and I am... I want to keep that streak going. Yeah, but you don't... There doesn't have to be contact. Mm. You can just do that. That's true. You can even just do the voice note and then not send it. Mm. Or just keep it to send when yeah. you feel like sending it. That's true. A weapon in my back pocket. <laughs> mm. You could have like a whole folder. Yeah. Of <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because I, okay, I read like half this chapter and then I had an appointment with my therapist. So I mm -hmm. had to stop reading and then have my appointment. And I was telling her, I was having, I was like, I don't know why I was struggling reading this chapter. And we had this conversation about it where she was like, you know, when you wrote this, um, you were at a point where you still thought there was like a chance to salvage your relationship. So now yeah. like reading something where I know like Draco is like in this place where obviously he's really mad, but there's still this like idea that like maybe one day, you know, after their like conflict, they can actually have like a, a functional relationship. Like that's the place I was at when I wrote that. And mm -hmm. now I'm at a place where I'm like, there's no hope for a functional relationship. It's yeah. not existent. So like reading that and like, being back in that like headspace was just like so frustrating. Yeah. Like, oh god. I think it's because in that moment Draco's like being really honest about mm. who he is mm. and he's come to terms with like I'm valuable yeah. and like I'm important and like who I am matters and who mm. I am has has great, you know, uh characteristics that someone who loves yeah. me should be proud of. Yeah. And then her rejection of that, Draco still thinks okay, well, I still know I'm valuable. Maybe I can get her to see that. Yeah. And then, you know, like in your personal life, you, your mother was not going to see not that. Not receptive <laughs> to that at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, there's, it's definitely a different uh, perspective. Mm, and mm. like, it's interesting to hear you say that like, it feels like you're going back to mm. that place you were in. When yeah, you definitely. It. It's like super fascinating. Things I didn't realize would come up reading this out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome you... to my flailing journey. Yeah. Recovery isn't linear. Recovery isn't linear. Right we, just, we just keep going in these like, concentric circles constantly over and over again. It's a spiral. Okay? Uh, yeah, sure. You learn other and new and different things. Mm -hmm. you, you, true. Even in this discussion, you've said you have come to a place where you know that mm. it's not realistic and yeah. you're okay with that. Yeah. Definitely. It just is what it is. Also, it's a good lesson in learning that, like, once you have taken ownership and say, like, I am valuable and I like my life and I like who I am, mm. it actually doesn't matter who accepts that. Yeah. If people aren't going to accept that, then you don't need them in your life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And trying to keep people in your life who fundamentally try and tear that down. Yeah. 
is not a good thing. No. And and rejecting that is actually progress. Yeah, definitely. I think so anyway. No, I completely agree. It is just hard. <laughs> it's just it unpleasant. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> when even though the results are great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think... Um, you are so much happier, yeah, actually. Significantly. And it's, it's so much... It's obvious. Mm. Um, and it... Yeah. I think it was a huge change, but, like, desperately needed. Yeah, seriously. I think there are so many people who have experience with that, too. Like, people in their lives who are consumptive of your time and your energy. Yeah. And they give you nothing back. And yeah. they do no, like, honoring of who you are. Mm. They do no supporting you. Yeah. They do no, like... Um, having this two-way existence mm-hmm. and entitled to your time and energy and your love yeah yeah I think that's probably my biggest pet peeve like mm. in the time that I've had away from my mom in in like recognizing when people feel entitled to my time mm. like oh I hate that so much you actually won't be friends with someone who does that no I won't yeah I will very quickly like end that relationship yeah yeah which I think is fair I mean in, at the end of the day, like, your life is your own to live. Yeah. No one's entitled to you. Mm. Like, your body, your time, mm. anything. Um, and, like, you can choose to spend your time with the people you care about. Yeah. Because, like, it, it's a positive experience for the both of you, you know? Mm. And I think more people need to make decisions around that. Yeah. And, you know, curate who they spend time with. Yeah, definitely. To, like, fuel their own lives and their own selves. Yeah. And, like, you shouldn't feel guilty about cutting people out of your life who don't, like... Actually, yeah, whether it's friends or it's family. Obviously, yeah. it's much harder, especially for younger people, yeah. to, like, make good boundaries with family members, especially if you're still, like, Living financially or, dependent yeah, exactly. on them or something like that. Mm. But certainly, you know, as you grow into your own adult, you can make those decisions. Yeah, definitely. And I think our generation is actually really pioneering that. Yes, and like really pushing against these like traditional values of like, you know, you have you to... You owe your parents you owe everything. Your parents, yeah, or like your parents deserve a place in your life. Like just having children doesn't give you inherent rights to that person's life. Especially like when you talk about people like both of us mm-hmm. who... Well, maybe I'll just speak from my own experience. <laughs> My parents were not kind, loving people. Mm. And, they, like, they had children for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And then were mad that those wrong reasons didn't... Weren't solved. <laughs> yeah, or, like, didn't supply them with the things that they wanted. Yeah. And then they just had these two people that they had to deal with. Yeah, and, like, I don't owe them anything. No, yeah, <laughs> like, no, you, you don't get to, like, expect anything from me. Mm. Yeah, I think both of us sort of two different experiences, very different mm-hmm. experiences, but um, similar. Like, yeah. you know, you you don't just get entitled to a yeah. child because you decided to have a child. Yeah, exactly. Especially when that child becomes an adult. Yeah, no, not at all. And like, and and knowing that also, it's okay for that to take that process to take a while too. Like, it can take mm. a while for you to disentangle from that and like try and establish boundaries and also. So I, I feel like we often spend a lot of time talking to people our age or younger, mm. but like parents listening to this, mm-hmm. like the, I feel like this is a lesson mm. that you could learn that like, you know, people don't want to feel like they're being consumed for other people's ends Yeah, and loving someone and being supportive of them is not about controlling them or consuming mm-hmm. them. And if you can 
create a dialogue around that and figure out a way like with your child like if you're struggling in your relationship Mm. if you can come from a place of like I love you and I want to do you know I want to have a good positive relationship you can do that like please do that like definitely you know work on it step one yeah you know if my mom had said that to me we I probably would be in a different situation oh definitely she never once like definitely even with all the turmoil came to me and said I want to have a good relationship with you like what can we do to make no it was entirely about guilt yeah no like her entire approach is just making me feel bad for standing up to her Mm -hmm. and like parents out there don't be don't do that. Don't do that. Self-reflect. <laughs> Step back yeah. and say, what, what is my behavior? Yeah. You know, like, what am I doing in this situation? Mm. What are my goals? Yeah. What am I trying to do? Yeah. You know, how is that coming off to an adult in my life? Yeah. You know, not even, like, my child. Yeah, an yeah. adult in my life. Yeah. Or in, like, understanding that, like, your child is allowed to have the feelings that they have and they might have a different experience of their childhood than you did. Oh, completely. Hugely. Compl- and that the, that Even those two ex- siblings yeah, two can siblings. have two different, totally different Vastly experiences. Vastly different experiences. Um, and like recognizing and respecting the fact that like they're entitled to their experiences and feelings around that. Completely. completely. And if that makes you feel bad, then like that's not your child's fault. Yeah, like, no. that's not their responsibility to deal with your feelings of, like, guilt. No, no, no. Your feelings of guilt, you don't put them back on your child. Mm-hmm. You go to a therapist and you talk about them. Yeah. And then you work on them and yeah. you work on ways to move forward. Yeah. You don't go back to your child to get them to reassure you that you're a good parent. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Don't fucking do that. Do that. <laughs> that's how you end your relationship with your child. <laughs> or give them so many complexes yeah. to make them to their go, therapist. Yeah, exactly. Because then they have to go to their therapist and deal with your bullshit. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, so yeah, writing Narcissa was like a fucking exercise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and reading it too. Yeah, definitely. And you did much better reading the second half. Yeah, for somehow, like, you know, somehow the intimacy was like less, less intense. Scary. Yeah, less intense to deal with. That's cool though. Yeah. I think that shows that like you actually for all the flailing that you do while reading <laughs> it, and like, you know, the the dramatics of like I you know, we've done nothing, we've not recovered. Yeah. I think it's very obvious that you have improved mm. significantly. Even the fact that, like, I remember when we first wrote this, mm. and we were like, eventually we'll podcast, or podfic, and you were like, I'll never read these scenes aloud. Yeah. I'll never read any sex scenes aloud. Yeah, that's true. I did say that multiple times. And now here you are, like, yeah. going right through it. <laughs> like, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is significant progress. That's true. And letting people listen to it. Like, all the people out there listening. And yeah, then, don't make me think about that too hard. <laughs> Oh, God, there's people listening. <laughs> We're not just talking to ourselves in a vacuum. Never mind. Don't mind me. You're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. We're all good. You're doing Everybody's great. Everybody's fine. We're pushing you out of your comfort zone. That's what my therapist said to me today. I know. <laughs> what are you guys doing this <laughs> Did you tell her you're reading sex scenes aloud? Were yeah. You... <laughs> she thinks you should do more than yeah, that? Yeah, no, it's just, oh, God, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Um, we talked a lot about the stuff we brought up in the intimacy between the two of them mm. in the last chapter, yeah. so I don't think we need to rehash that yeah. as much. I, I love the ending of it, though, in that, like, I feel like this is a, a moment in a lot of other stories where they probably would have just, like, fallen into bed literally together mm-hmm. and, like, had sex or, like, big mm-hmm. romantic, like, mm-hmm. weird passionate scene. Not weird, but, you know, mm-hmm. other people like that. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Um, but I, I felt like it was so important to be more honest to like what Draco was going through and like having Harry recognize. Actually, I love it because he's comfortable saying I'm not ready. Yeah. And how many people have felt like they can't say that? Yeah. 
or push themselves into situations they're uncomfortable with. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's like, and then that's why Harry's smiling. Yeah. Because it's like, he's like, oh, you know, he's doing the thing. Yeah. Good he's communicating. Yeah. He's being honest about his feelings. Oh my God. Yeah. Yay. He's Except. not like shutting everything down yeah. and being cold and angry. Yeah. And like, you know, freezing it all out and, mm-hmm. you know, going out and running off into the forest. Yeah. Into the snow and mm. bare feet. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it is, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful moment between them. Yeah. And that doesn't have to mean that they do some weird, like falling into bed, having sex and yeah. then. Dealing Whatever. with the aftermath. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. can be a beautiful, like, intimate moment mm. without that. Yeah, definitely. That's, like, good shit. It is. Okay. Okay. Well done. Thank you. You did it. Oh, yay. <laughs> now it's your turn. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> My chapter's short. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's fine. Onward to okay. reading. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>